Hello everyone, my name is Eric Mercier, I'm co-owner of Juice Imports, and today I'm going to walk you through the August edition of our Premium Natural Wine Club. This month we have a really amazing selection for you. Uh, <laughs> we have a repeat producer from last month because we really only get one allocation a year. Uh, so we decided to double up on producers in back-to-back -back months. Uh, I figure uh, you're not going to be sad about it when you taste the wine. Um, but before we get into that, the first wine that we're going to talk about today is Peter Vetzer's Weiss. Um, Peter Vetzer is an amazing winemaker in Hungary. He's located in the town of Schobron, um, which is sort of right on the border of Austria. Uh, historically speaking, the winemaking region that is on the Austrian side of the border was actually included in Schopron. Uh, Schopron um, again, in, in some texts, is referred to as like loyal Chopron or like the most loyal Hungarian state because over the last you know several hundred years of uh, you know different ruling powers sort of working their way through this this part of Central Europe, Chopron uh, always remained Hungarian. Um, that being said, there is definitely a uh, like German-speaking minority here as well. Um, you think of uh, Franz Wenninger, another producer in our profile, who sort of falls under that category, as well as uh, the the Kopiches. Uh, they also like using the the Hungarian words, but on the Austrian side of the border, where where German is the is the language of choice. So, this is a really interesting area, uh, historically speaking. Um, from a, I don't know, from a geological perspective, it's also really interesting compared to a lot of the surrounding area. Most of the region on the Austrian side of the border has um, loam and, and sort of these softer soils, soils that are a little bit easier to, to manage that yield these wines that are very centered, very soft, very gentle, um, versus on the Hungarian side of the border for some strange quirk of, uh, <laughs> of of drawing borders, I suppose. Um, they've ended up with a lot of nice and mica schist. So these are, are sort of har harder, more basic soils. Um, you end up with these uh, wines with tons of tension and lots of power, a grittiness to them, a grip to them, um, lots of base. So I, I think that the wines from this side of the border are really compelling. We first met Peter Vetzer uh, maybe about four years ago. Um, on a trip to Austria, we drove uh, across the border to his place. Uh, we had to head down a back alley to actually find his house. Uh, this is a really ancient city, so the, the streets don't necessarily follow the grid system that we have here in Canada, for the most part at least. Um, and he's sort of this towering figure. He's, you know, over six feet tall, broad shoulders, uh, shaved head. Uh, he's, he's quite a force to be reckoned with. Yet at the same time, he's incredibly soft-spoken and, and really thoughtful and, and very humble. Um, you know, I think that he's making some of the best wines in, you know, all of Europe and all of the world in general, yet at the same time, um, you know, he, he doesn't get talked about nearly enough. Not only that, but his production is extremely small, usually between, you know, a thousand and two thousand cases a year. Uh, we're fortunate enough to get a whopping 
<laughs> portion of his allocation uh, every year. I don't know how we've gotten this lucky. You know, we try and hang out with him as often as possible. Uh, we've been out there twice, and, you know, we send emails back and forth quite often as well. So m maybe that has something to do with the fact that we get uh, get such an impressive allocation from him. That and the fact that we're, we're really desperate to go over there and actually have our own vineyard because he's just inspired us so much with his wine. Out of all the places that we visited in the world, um, some of the vineyards in, in and around where he is uh, have sort of captivated our hearts the most um, and seem to be actually the most economically viable as well. Fortunately, and unfortunately, I guess, for the local populations, um, the the local currency is quite devalued. So it makes it um, so that buying land and buying property in Hungary is, is actually quite affordable compared to the rest of Europe. That being said, uh, they have a pretty oppressive uh, and corrupt government at the moment, uh, which will hopefully... Uh, get resolved at some point here in the near future because at the moment the stories that I'm hearing are, are very uh, sad to say the very least I guess so uh, Hungary very up and down from from a winemaking perspective for for whether or not you actually want to be there um, the interesting thing about this region as well is that a huge amount of the younger population has moved out to the rest of Europe. Again, being able to make more money in euros as opposed to local currency um, has basically led to this, this mass exodus. Um, it means that a lot of the vineyards have actually been abandoned, which is sort of where Peter Wetzer comes in. Uh, he wants to stay in Hungary. He wants to, you know, show that this is some of the best terroir in the world and that it deserves to be um, on the map and, and doesn't deserve to fall by the wayside the way that a lot of these sort of regions populated by older people, you know, tend to do. Um, so it's he's getting opportunities to buy some of these abandoned vineyards or vineyards that, you know, the owners are, are getting quite old and are looking at retiring and, and are looking just to pass it on to somebody who, who believes, um, you know, the same thing that they did, which is that these wines are of extremely high quality and deserve to exist. Um, in this case, this is his first year uh, leasing this tiny little plot uh, of Grunerweltliner. Grunerweltliner historically is thought of as an Austrian grape variety, um, but it's actually historically been planted on both sides of the border. Um, and this is a really great example of Grunerweltliner, and it has a lot more in common with... Um, sort of the more northern Austrian regions, so the, the Kamptau and the Wachau, uh, for instance, than it does with the wines of Burgenland, uh, so the adjacent region in Austria. For me, this wine, because it's planted on, on Nice uh, predominantly um, and Schist, it tends to have this like power to it that you'd expect out of those more northern regions in, in Austria. Um, a real texture to it as well, this sort of like oily, um, fat, rich, like kind of palate coating uh, intensity to it. It's, it's a style that I really like and that I think is underrated. I think we sort of get into these habits of drinking these like really light, fresh, crisp white wines. Uh, and we sort of forget that white wine can be on this other end of the spectrum where it is as uh, intense and textural as red wine. You're getting those phenolic qualities. So those sort of mouth gripping qualities, you're getting these textural elements. Um, and I think this vineyard is absolutely spectacular. Um, 
again, the fortunate thing is that uh, wines from this region tend to not command super high prices, uh, which again is, is not great for them and something that needs to be um, addressed in the future if they're going to continue being able to be economically viable. But for us at the moment, it means that we're able to get this wine at a, a, an absurdly low price. Um, you know, I think it, it would retail for roughly $34, depending on which shop you're buying it from. We only got something like 60 bottles or, or somewhere around there um, for the entire year. So you're drinking small production, incredibly high quality, uh, and all for a, a price that I think is incredibly affordable, given the, the style and the amount of work that went into it. I think this also has a huge amount of aging potential. Grüner I've had examples that are you know, not extremely old, but definitely, you know, 10 to 20 years old on, a, on several occasions that, um, I, again, I really love the way that they age. Uh, they become even more luscious and soft. Some of those uh, phenolic compounds, they sort of fade a little bit. So you get this really smooth, really luxurious style of wine. Um, and because of the inherent flavor qualities of Gruner Veltliner, which are again, mostly green herbaceous qualities, um, those sort of tame themselves into this sort of, you know, toasty, roasty, green tea vibe. Um, lots of autumnal characteristics for me, like, you know, roasted pumpkin, sesame seeds, things like that. Um, so the evolution of these wines is, is really, really interesting. I have a pretty good little stash of Gruner Veltliner in my, uh, in my closet. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I, I really love this style. From a pairing perspective, Gruner Veltliner is always going to be sort of the uh, like Swiss army knife of the wine world. It goes with absolutely everything. When in doubt, uh, either go uh, Gruner Veltliner or go uh, Champagne. Uh, they, they tend to go with absolutely everything. Uh, Gruner Veltliner in particular really loves bitter vegetables. Uh, bitter vegetables tend to make wines taste bad essentially. Uh, but somehow Grunewaldliner, because of one of the compounds in it, it, it's able to sort of negate a little bit of that bitterness, make the the vegetables a little more approachable. So for me, I wrote like radicchio, um, definitely one of my favorites, uh, sulfurous vegetables like, uh, like broccolini and, and things like that, ramps, um, all those things go really, really well with, uh, with Grunewaldliner. Um, it can also hold up to things like schnitzel as well. Like that's kind of a classic pairing. Um, but yeah, I, I like uh, I, I like my Gruner Veltliner with uh, with all the green things from the garden. Um, yeah, I think we used the entirety of our allocation for the wine club. So I apologize to anybody who really wants a second bottle. Uh, you might be able to get one just because the wine club's not entirely full at the moment. Um, but if you can't, uh, apologies for, uh, <laughs> for, for teasing you with such a delicious bottle at such a good price and then not being able to actually give you any more of it. Uh, a second wine, the second wine in our wine club this month is from Anthony Buchanan. Um, so Anthony is a really cool guy. Um, basically, our, our friends from Amovino in, um, in BC uh reached out to us and they were like you have to talk to anthony buchanan his wines are amazing 
And at this point, we weren't really looking for any more Canadian producers. We were sort of like humming and hawing. Um, we're like, yeah, do we really need like another Canadian producer that makes like, you know, such a breadth of different wines? Um, you know, we don't really make any money off of Canadian producers. So it, it is a huge, uh, not financial burden necessarily, but it, it definitely takes away some of the money that we could be spending on wines that we do make a, a full margin on. Um, so we were kind of debating, 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 and, and luckily, again, our, our friend Jessica from Amovino was really adamant that we, we reach out to him and that we try the wines at the very least. Um, she's like, these are something special. You, you, need to, you need to understand how special these are. And again, I respect her palate infinitely, and so we, uh, we reached out and we got a couple um, bottles sent to us and sat down and had a video call with Anthony. And we're immediately like, yes, like these are really good. These are exactly the style of natural wine that we like to drink. Wines that are super clean. Uh, there's no sort of weirdness to them necessarily. Um, but they have this freshness and this energy and this focus. Um, and then sitting down and talking with him about sort of his goal for the wine um, for his his winery and his project and it's it's very forward thinking um, you know he's he's now acquired his own vineyard um, that he's farming organically and doing all the right things in the vineyard putting in the time putting in the effort um, you know it's a really cool site that's a lot that that's way different from anything else that we're currently working with even though we have so many producers from the Okanagan uh, he's representing you know totally different styles and different regions and and we're just like really incredibly excited about it um then in february on during that crazy cold snap we had planned a trip out to the okanagan so we went out there met up with him walked through the vineyards um and uh again unfortunately that was sort of like in the in the height of uh social distancing so we weren't able to actually have any indoor time with him to you know have dinner, have lunch, or anything like that. We literally just got a chance to walk around the vineyard and, and check out the new winery, which is essentially just like a, a shed that they've converted into this, you know, that they're converting into this like immaculate, perfect little tiny winery, exactly what they need. Um, so yeah, we, we kind of wandered around and saw the site and it really was just, you know, something special. It has this sort of like docile characteristic to it if, if that makes sense um it's definitely quite sloped um but it seems just sort of like tucked into this perfect side like part of the hillside where they're getting you know just enough breeze but not too much breeze it's definitely sloped but it's not super steep um it just seemed like kind of this like ideal little goldilocks zone and i i think the wines that are um, that are going to come from, you know, their actual vineyard over the next couple of years is, is just going to be uh, incredible, especially with, again, the amount of work that he's put into farming. Seeing, seeing pictures, you know, on their Instagram is, is very inspiring. So uh, this particular one is called Fubar. Um, you can look up what that means. It's, uh, <laughs> you can jump into all the details of, of what Fubar is. Um, Mark, my business partner, is a huge uh, World War II uh, geek. So he was really excited that we were carrying a wine called, uh, called Fubar. Um, this is a blend of a bunch of different grape varieties, all of which seem to get along incredibly well. 
uh, in the bottle and in the glass. Uh, so we have Gamay Noir, the grape of Beaujolais, that tends to be light and fresh and spicy and dark-fruited. Uh, we have Zweigelt, which is an Austrian grape variety, which is now starting to pick up steam in the Okanagan. Um, tends to be quite uh, red-fruited and plummy. Uh, then we have Merlot, which is actually a really great comparison to uh, to Zweigelt for me. Um, again, that sort of like cocoa nibby plushness to it. Um, some Pinot Noir in here as well. So again, bright, fresh, cherry-driven, a um, little bit of a savoriness to it. Syrah, which obviously has that peppery characteristic that we all know and love. Um, some of the deeper fruit characteristics and a, a truly floral note, uh, as well as muscat, which is a white grape variety that's hyper aromatic, smells like tropical fruits and basically every flower you can possibly think of. So a really, really wild blend here. Um, he's doing a, a handful of different fermentation techniques, but um, essentially fermentation in uh, stainless steel, in fudra, and in concrete tanks. Um, so all quite neutral vessels, vessels that aren't imparting a ton of flavor. He really wants the grapes to actually shine through here. Um, they're doing uh, what we call pigeage, which is uh, crushing by foot. Most of our producers prefer this method. Um, there's a handful of benefits to pigeage. One is that um, where fermentation is happening in the wine, uh, it tends to be warmer because those yeast are essentially doing physical activity, the activity of consuming sugar and um, creating alcohol and CO2 as well as reproducing like mad. Uh, and so it makes it warm. So when you're stomping on grapes in, in a you know somewhat large tank, you can feel where the warm sections are and where the cool sections are. And where the warm sections are, fermentation has started, and where the cool sections are, uh, fermentation hasn't started. So unlike using like a plunger or something like that, you get that tactile feedback that, okay, I need to mix this part with that part in order to get fermentation happening everywhere at the same time. Um, not only that, but your feet are quite gentle compared to, you know, metal, you know, crushing objects and things like that. So um, pigeage is kind of the way to go. Plus there's like some sort of romanticism about, uh, you know, crushing grapes by foot. So they're definitely doing a little bit of that to help with extraction. Um, so extracting flavors from the grape skins, getting that into the grape juice during fermentation. Uh, and then they're pressing that, that finished wine or mostly finished wine off into uh, concrete and barrel. Concrete, again, great aging vessel, neutral, allows a little bit of oxygen in, um, keeps the temperature nice and, and consistent. Um, and then, yeah, after a short elevage period, uh, bottled and filtered with super low levels of, of sulfur dioxide. Um, and he's only making about 300 cases. So this is really small production. And this is kind of his like staple wine. This is his big production wine and it's only 300 cases. So we're really lucky that we actually get any of it. Um, last year, I think we got something like 10 cases this year. I think we got, uh, seven or eight cases. So again, really small, but, uh, we figured we'd set aside a little bit of it for the wine club to, to really treat you guys. Um, you know us, like we love the Okanagan. We love Canadian wine. I think that with our goal being sustainability, um, and transparency, one of the best things you can do is be getting your wine from, from close by. Um, 
you know, shipping wine across the ocean is, even if it is farmed organically and, and, and you know, they're using sustainable packaging and whatever it happens to be, shipping across the ocean is, is really one of the massive uh, impacts on the environment. And so for us to be able to get wine from the Okanagan, uh, especially that's farmed in a way that's that's sustainable, um, that's really cutting out one of those huge environmental factors. And so we love supporting the Okanagan um, and it gives a lot of our, you know, the people in the wine club the opportunity to, to go visit, meet these producers, because as as good of a job as we try to do uh, explaining why these wines are as special as they are, when you see the actual site, when you talk to the people, that's really when you understand, okay, this is something different. This is not you know, your bottle of apothic. This is not, you know, even even the the medium-sized wineries that are, uh, you know, have, have the marketing firms that make you think that uh, <laughs> that there's something special happening. Uh, you don't get the feeling from it when you're there. It's, it's all kind of feels like a song and a dance and a, a little bit of a sham. So um, it's, it's nice to go visit these guys and, and you can see them, you know, getting their hands dirty and, and really just loving their sight, loving the place that they live, um, loving the wines that they make. And, and so it's, you know, it, uh, supporting wines in the Okanagan is really great because we can then send you guys there and, and hopefully you'll get a chance to, uh, to taste them. Um, from a flavor perspective, this is juicy. This is, um, it's, it's not to say that it's not complex. It's not to say that it's not compelling, but it's definitely on the juicy end of the spectrum. Tons of fruit characteristics, a little bit of a herbal element from some of those great varieties that we mentioned earlier. Um, extremely energetic and, and buoyant and bouncy and crunchy, like all those words that I really love in, in the wine lexicon. Um, so it's, it's, kind of easy to pair with everything uh you know I, I definitely think like uh like red sauce italian is like kind of a really great direction to go with this um i i have a little write-up on one of my favorite pizza places in here um in the actual newsletter so if you read that uh you know definitely shout out to super point in in toronto who will be visiting shortly hopefully uh, even if it is just for a takeout pizza that we're then gonna eat on the sidewalk somewhere um but yeah, absolutely amazing wine. I think you guys are going to love uh, Anthony's efforts um, and just excited to see where he goes. Um, he's also been extremely generous with giving us proper export pricing so that we can you know, pass those savings along to you so that you can drink these wines for essentially not much more than you would pay in the actual Okanagan, which is... Uh, a rarity when it comes to the Okanagan so we're we're hugely grateful to uh to him doing that for us um yeah uh now we're going to move on to our final wine and this is uh, just incredibly special in my opinion um so much so that I need to rehydrate before I even start talking about it so last month we included uh, a wine from Claire Nodet. We included one of her Chardonnays. Um, and so many of you wrote to us, essentially thanking us for <laughs> uh, parting with our minimal allocation and, and putting it into the wine club. Um, with a lot of these wines, there's a small group of collectors that would essentially purchase up every single bottle we get um, if we, if we let them and 
we started this wine club because we we like the idea of these really rare wines getting shared with as many people as possible as opposed to being hoarded like commodities um i think that all these producers they, they wouldn't want their wines being treated like stocks um they wouldn't want people um tucking them away and and not sharing them and you know so our our idea is that this is a really great opportunity to get you know the 36 bottles that we get uh, out to at least 36 people, uh, although most of you are very kind in, in sharing them with your friends uh, or spouses or family or whatever it happens to be. And so these 36 bottles end up going a lot further, which is really awesome. That's the that's what we like about wine is this idea of sharing and this idea of, you know, having this, uh, this sort of communal experience through a wine. So it's like there's a place in France that's the only place in the world that can make a wine that tastes this way. And we have it now here in Alberta and 36 separate people in 36 separate households are drinking this wine and getting this profound connection to that place. That's a really cool thing to get to help curate. and that that's really how we feel about it is it's it's sort of this this curation process we're not really like doing anything everybody else is doing the doing the cool things you guys are having the experience which is uh you know as much work as as anything else you know connecting to that wine and allowing it to to speak to you in some sort of way um and then we have the winemaker who's obviously putting in infinite effort in order to create something um as honest and authentic and and transparent as they as they are so it's cool sort of being that that link between those two um those those two efforts those two experiences so um obviously i'm feeling ranty and 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 sentimental today so (laughs) i apologize in advance um but this wine is from claire nodane so um again similar to the chardonnay that we had uh last month um, from a story perspective, and, and this one's called uh, Viola uh, Odorata. So, again, named after um, the uh, the plant that grows in the vineyard itself. She has this series that I think some people call the botanical series uh, or the flower series, and it's basically highlighting these uh, these single underrated vineyards and and elevating them to a level that's that's hard to even explain in words frankly it's just one of those ones that once you taste it your your brain will explode a little bit and and you'll be better for it um so this is coming from burgundy uh, as we talked about last month burgundy most famous wine region in the world makes the most expensive wines in in the world um makes some of the most compelling wines in the world and traditionally makes a lot of really underwhelming wines as well that sell for way too much money uh, because the cost of land is is just exorbitant now. So this is a really cool um, expression because it comes from between the two famous regions within Burgundy. So Burgundy is subdivided into, you know, sort of micro areas at this point. Um, but the two sort of major parts of, the, of what we call the Cote d'Or uh, or the Golden Slope or the East Facing Slope, uh, depending on, on what source you're actually looking at, um, it's divided into two sections. So we have the Cote de Nuit, 
which is maybe a little more famous for red wine, and the Cote de Bone, which is more famous for white wine. And between them, there's this sort of little bit of a gap, um, and that's essentially where Claire Naudet uh, has her property. So she has vineyards on both sides of, the, of you know, essentially the two different coats, uh, so the two different slopes. Um, but she also grows grapes sort of directly between the two of them. And it's interesting because this east-facing slope, if you think about a little slit in an east-facing slope, that means that part of it is directly south-facing, essentially. Uh, in some cases, even, even southwest-facing. And this is really unique. Um, you end up with an entirely different exposure than most of the rest of the coat. You end up with different geology. You end up with a lot of things that make it different, but the same. Um, it still represents Burgundy. It represents one of the many facets of Burgundy. Um, and this is coming from some of her most prized sites that are outside of the traditionally praised region. So she makes um, a wine from Echezo, that's the most expensive wine we've ever imported ever, uh, that was immediately scooped up, um, including one bottle by ourselves for uh, maybe a Christmas present to ourselves preemptively, only six months early. Um, she makes wine from uh, Nuit Saint-Georges. She makes wine from uh, from Alex Corton. Um, so again, a lot of really famous regions. And then these are uh, directly between, so they end up being underrated. Um, so this is a blend from um, five different lieux which means uh, sort of named plots. So in Burgundy, because people like to geek out about the differences between, you know, essentially like one eighth of an acre versus another eighth of an acre uh everything's been subdivided and been given names over the course of the last you know thousand years essentially um and so this is coming from five little tiny plots um around the, this little town that's between again these two these two sort of more famous regions um the vines here are incredibly old we're talking between 55 and 115 years old uh in Burgundy, a place that's quite cold and quite wet, especially during the winter, uh, it's rare for vines to survive quite this long. Um, most people rip out their vines after, well, a lot less than that because they become less productive. Um, but a lot of winemakers, despite you know maybe some of the the scientific evidence pointing other to, towards other directions, um, think that older vines create more character. Um, Again, I think the anecdotal evidence mostly speaks for itself in the sense that a lot of the wines that I've had from old vines have been incredibly compelling uh, and seem to pick up on flavors that you don't really see in, in wines from younger vines. Um, so at, at the very least, we, we have that. Um, and the fact that this is, that this is interesting. Uh, <laughs> so the the wine in this case they're doing whole berry fermentation under co2 so essentially carbonic maceration the same thing that you'd see in beaujolais but a lot of producers in burgundy do it sort of across the board um then she's doing pijage so again this foot crushing that we were talking about um really gentle really soft uh and then everything is moved by gravity so she's not using pumps to pump around the wine that kind of Again, it's like putting a wine through a blender. It's, it's not really something you want to do. Um, you're breaking up a lot of those sort of more delicate compounds when you're doing things like that. You're introducing oxygen in some cases. So essentially, her moving everything via 
uh, gravity is going to be the best thing for the wine, um, especially something like, in this case, Pinot Noir. Pinot Noir that tends to be, again, very delicate, very finicky, very picky uh, about how it's treated. Um, and then she lets the wine settle for a short period of time, puts it into barrel. Um, one third of the barrels are new, uh, which means that you're going to get a lot more sort of toasty, um, you know, kind of vanilla notes than you do on most of the wines that we import. We don't work with a ton of wines that are aged in new oak, uh, just because we see it sort of as an additive uh, in the sense that, you know, that flavor is not coming from the grapes, not coming from the soil. That being said, uh, from an indulgence perspective, oak is obviously incredibly delicious. Uh, flavors like coconut and vanilla are, are obviously, you know, they, they tick certain boxes in our head where we're like, yeah, this tastes real good. Um, and it's sort of the nature of the beast. You can't always have neutral barrels. Um, barrels are going to break. Barrels are going to start leaking. Um, they're going to reach sort of their the end of their life cycle, and you're going to need to replace x number of barrels every year with new barrels and so you got to put something in them and in this case this wine has enough intensity and flavor and depth and and power uh that it can hold up to those flavors of the new barrels so for me again i don't think the oak is out of place here and in fact i i absolutely adore it uh again i think some of my natural wine colleagues would would uh you know gasp at the fact that i'm admitting to liking the flavors of oak in some cases but for me like burgundy pinot with the right amount of oak dang it's a it's a real treat um you know same thing with california chardonnay it's just it's like it's meant to have oak so for me it's definitely uh it's definitely in the right place um i could not even write a tasting note for this it's pinot noir on this level is just this uh this impossible to describe experience it's um the combination of elegance and power and the satiation that you get from it that this this feeling of completeness um it's just really hard to describe how good these wines are um talking to or, or reading some of claire's notes um i love what she wrote so it, unlike usual i decided just to not write a tasting note i just <laughs> i felt bad writing a tasting note about this it's it's like you know trying to describe your favorite painting to somebody and just realizing you're falling way short uh and this is definitely one of those cases where it's like anything that i could say about it would just be uh you know reductive it, it, it just wouldn't really it wouldn't tell the story so i decided to include her tasting note because um you know she gets to drink these wines a lot more often than i do so i feel like she's reeled in her emotions a little bit more than me um but yeah it's uh it, it's just like an absolute treat i also included um her uh pairing suggestion as well um just because i did so on the on the last wine that we used from her but again with pinot noir there's so many suggestions for pairings and this one because it does have so much power to it i think that uh it has a huge 
again, sort of like a range of different things that it could pair with. Everything from, uh, you know, a pot roast to like burgers to, <laughs> you know, you can kind of go through the through the gamut here. Um, it's just going to be so friendly to so many different types of food. Um, but I definitely suggest, you know, saving a glass for afterwards to, to savor. Um, again, we only got 36 bottles. We got just enough for the wine club. Um, I think we had six bottles left and uh, some collector out of uh, Montreal bought them all uh, and, uh, <laughs> and just went for it. Um, or at least so I've been told. Uh, so it's, th there might not be any left for, for anybody to get their hands on, but hopefully... You know, now that we've included it in one wine club, it means that next year's allocation will go into uh, into open stock. Um, I think we're actually getting the new vintage before the end of the year, which is very strange. Um, it's just the way that the the vintages sort of lined up this year. But unfortunately, because she lost, you know, potentially ninety percent of her grapes because of of hail and frost um, this year, it means that we we might not be getting the twenty twenty one vintage. Um, at all and if we do it, it might just be six bottles so um, you know sort of drink it while you can uh, if, if you can find a bottle definitely hang on to a second bottle and, and see how it ages um, she really thinks that it's going to start uh, coming into its own in, in 2023 um, you know and onwards all the way up to, to 2030 um, but it's up to you to decide I really like drinking younger wines uh, in sort of this age range I think that the best wines in the world should taste good young and should taste good old and this is definitely a, a really great example of that so hopefully you enjoy our second bottle of claire Naudet. um there will be a short break of claire Naudet wines obviously until uh probably next year so if you see any other claire Naudet wines on the shelf definitely get your hands on them um they're they're really worth uh worth drinking if you have any questions about any of the wines in this wine club, uh, feel free to reach out to us. My email address is eric, E-R-I-K, at juiceimports.com. Uh, you can also send us a message on Instagram. We love when you tag us in your photos. Uh, we really appreciate it. It definitely helps us a lot. Um, even leaving a review on Google is, is massively helpful to us. It, helps us uh you know share our wines with even more people so if you're enjoying everything that you're you're hearing and drinking uh definitely do that so uh we'll talk to you again next month thanks again cheers